0: morning everyone oh that's so great i don't have to talk to like air anymore so so thankful to be uh celebrating easter with everyone and the timing fits you know so well with where we are in the book of ephesians and that's what we're going to be continuing to look at today so please turn in your bibles to ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 18 and again sermon notes can always be found at the live.eechk.org website you know Resurrection Sunday, we've talked about it so much already, but it's a time for us as Christians to reflect on the meaning of what Jesus rising from the dead means. He's alive. He is seated in the heavenly places. This is good news for everyone, especially for Christians, because the resurrection power of Jesus is powerfully at work in our lives here and now. That's what we've been reading about and praying about in Ephesians. We were dead in our sins, deserving of punishment, but God made us alive together with Jesus. He rescued us by his mercy and grace. He's given us a new life that believers presently enjoy. A life full of spiritual blessing. A life where we can live for God's good purpose and will. And all of this is possible because Jesus has shared his Resurrection life with you and with me. But Jesus' resurrection life is not just at work in each individual Christian, it's also powerfully at work to unite believers together in a community of faith called a church. And that's the focus for this morning's passage. In Ephesians 2, there's a repeated pattern which we've looked at of life in the past without Jesus to life in the present with him. So verses 1 to 3 tells us of each individual's need for Jesus. And then verses 4 to 10 tells us of the amazing result of having received that life. Verses 11 to 12 tells us of humanity's need for Jesus' resurrection life. And verses 14 to 18 tells us how Jesus' life brings peace and unity to his people. The believers are part of God's resurrection community. Jesus' life is at work to bring us peace. And all of this is connected to God's bigger plan to save the universe that we saw in chapter 1, verse 10. God's going to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. Uh, so before diving into all of that, uh, let's read the Bible together. Uh, you can just follow along as you read it for us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 11. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So there's two key words in this passage. The first key word is peace. Jesus is our peace. Verse 15, he has made peace. Verse 17, he proclaims or preaches peace to everyone. And verses 15 to 16 tells us the reason for this peace. Jesus has broken down, He has killed hostility or enmity. The second word is is one. Jesus has made one. Both one. Verse 15, he has created one new humanity. Verse 16, in one body, people are reconciled to God. Verse 18, in one spirit, access to God is given. And tied to this repetition of oneness, tied to this repetition of oneness is the idea of unity or two separate people being united together. So just think about these concepts. Peace, oneness, unity, great words, great ideas. Who doesn't want to see peace and unity in the world? But things are exactly opposite in the world that we live in. We live in a world full of conflict and division in in so many different ways. Think about the literal walls of division that have been built around the world. There's the Berlin Wall in the past. Uh, There's the Korean DMZ. There's the Great Wall of China, and then there's the Great Firewall of China. There's the half wall that's built at the border of Mexico and and, and America. These walls built to divide are a result of groups of people in conflict with each other. They want to keep the other side out. But these physical walls that we see are just the beginning of how the world is divided. We live in a world full of racial conflict. There's too many to name, but the ones that have received more recent attention uh, in the global news is the racism against Asian people in Russian countries especially America. You know, decades of ethnic conflict in Myanmar, and, and so many others. You know, there's, there's conflict between Jews and Palestinians, which have been going on for so many years. Uh, there's, there's all these tribal conflicts going on in Africa. There's a history of conflict between Natives and British in Australia and in Canada. You know, there are currently 50 active armed conflicts going on in the world today. And in addition to political and racial conflict, generational conflict has become more heightened in the modern world. And this is tied to the ways technology has sped up cultural change in society. And it no longer takes hundreds of years, according to historians, it takes decades for those changes to happen. So people within just a few decades have very different worldviews and values. And, and social scientists have tried to categorize these generational distinctives with words like baby boomers, generation X, millennials, generation Z. So political, racial, generational conflict are just a couple of Divisions that's so apparent in our day-to-day lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. You know, it's seen in the different ways the refugee is discriminated against in Hong Kong, in the conflict between you know, parents and children and households tied to different values and, and political stances. Division and conflict is innate in the world because it's a result of the sin in human beings. But the good news, the good news of the gospel in this passage is that God has defeated all enmity between people and he's uniting them in Jesus. Jesus is our peace. He has secured lasting peace and unity. He offers this peace to all. He is the prince of peace. With all the division and conflict in the world, people have tried many different ways to bring unity You know, bringing unity by force through war, bringing unity through ideology or education, creating something like the United Nations. See, the truth is people are unable to unite themselves. Whatever way we try to create unity and peace will ultimately fail. Because we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, we are in desperate need of a Savior. Only Jesus can solve our problem of division and conflict. That's what he's already done. That's what he is doing. And that brings us to the main point for this morning. Jesus creates true unity and lasting peace in his new people. Jesus creates true unity and lasting peace in his new people. Believers are not immediately free of division and conflict. But through faith in Jesus, believers have peace and unity with each other. They have been given the power to overcome division victoriously. We can confidently work towards peace because Jesus has already established it for us. His resurrection power is at work to make it happen. God is at work to complete his plan of salvation. That's what God wants to tell us this morning, and that's what God wanted to tell the Ephesian believers. The the key conflict in the early church that the Ephesians were facing was this division between Jews and non-Jews, who are also called Gentiles. The conflict between Jews and Gentiles in the ancient world was deep-rooted. It it spanned centuries and centuries and centuries of war and conflict. They, they, They hated each other. And one thing that symbolized their division was the ritual act of circumcision. Jews believed that because they practiced circumcision, they were better, more righteous than other people. They used the term uncircumcision as a negative way to talk down about non-Jews. So it's a word that's similar to the N-word when talking about African Americans, which I'm not going to (laughs) say. Now on the other side, The Gentiles thought the practice of circumcision was abhorrent, they thought it was disgusting. And underneath this practice or non-practice of circumcision was a deeper issue, was a set of different beliefs, values, traditions, morals that divided Jews and Gentiles. The Jews believed they were God's chosen people. The religion they practiced what they did and did not do made them better people than those around them. The Gentiles, on the other hand, saw the Jewish people as atheists. They only worshipped one God. They didn't give honor and respect to their other gods at all. But these Jewish people lived in the land of the Gentiles and took up all their resources. Who were they to think that they were better people than everyone else? Take a look at verses 11 to 12. God tells the Ephesian believers to remember what they were like before being saved by grace. First, they were to remember the conflict they were in. They were divided by their different cultures and values. They distinguished each other as better and worse with terms like uncircumcision and circumcision. Second, they were without God and without hope in the world. They were separated from the blessings and promise that they had in Jesus that we looked at in chapter 1. They were aliens and strangers. They had no place in God's family. God did not see them as his people. But all this changed in verse 13 when they were saved by grace. And God wants to remind these Ephesian believers what he's already done for them when they trusted Jesus. They have been brought near. They have been brought near to God. They've been brought near to his blessings. They've been made a part of his people and brought near to each other as a result. God reminds the Ephesians all that he has done to bring them blessing and peace so that they could find confidence to live it out as a church. Now, EEC doesn't have any divisions between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Uh, To my knowledge, there are no Jewish members of our church. But, But we are a church that's made up of people with very different backgrounds, not just in terms of culture and language, but also in our vocation and our income bracket and our life stage and our age and our political views and our countries of origin. And all the differences have the potential to lead to conflict and division. God is telling us that what He has done to bring us together is far, far stronger than all the things that could potentially divide And as we understand more deeply what God has done to unite us as a church, it allows us to grow in unity, to preserve peace and overcome any conflict that may arise. Jesus creates true unity and lasting peace in his new people. And there are four ways that Jesus does this in verses 14 to 18. First, Jesus removes sources of division and enmity between people. Second, Jesus creates a new, united people by reconciling them to God. Third, Jesus calls people into unity and peace through him. And fourth, Jesus secures access to unity and peace. We're going to take a look at each of these points in more detail and what it means for us. So let's dive into this first point. Jesus removes the sources of division and enmity between people. Verses 14 to 15 says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is like such a complicated sentence. (laughs) All right, let me try to break it down. In these verses, there is something that is causing hostility or enmity. The word here means both of those things. Hostility, enmity, same thing, same word. Something is leading people to be hostile to each other so that they treat each other as enemies. And this something not only creates hostility, it also divides people. So it's called the dividing wall of hostility. What is this wall? Not the Berlin Wall, not the Great Wall of China. The essence of this wall is not physical, but ideological. It's the Jewish system of belief and morality that they created over many years of tradition. And this system of morality, of right and wrong, was based off the Old Testament laws, but it added extra things to it. The Jewish people believed following God's law in the Old Testament was the way to salvation, and so they created a whole extra set of laws as a way to make sure that they would never break the Old Testament laws. But this Jewish system of morality was not just based on practice of laws, it was also racial. They believed simply by being Jewish you were a better person in the eyes of God than other people. But this way of understanding the Bible was wrong. So Jesus condemns the Jewish people for this system. And in Mark 7:9, He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. This moral system of the Jews caused division. And very concretely, it led to them making a wall, a literal wall, that kept non-Jewish people from entering the courts of the temple. And this physical wall was an expression of what the Jewish people believed. They were the only ones worthy of going into God's presence. Everyone else was not. They were the chosen people. And this belief system created hostility. The Jewish people walked around with a sense of self-righteous pride and superiority that allowed them to look down on others to the point that in their eyes, other people were were subhuman. They were foreigners. They were aliens. So that's the dividing wall of hostility. But Jesus broke it down in his flesh. And this is another way of referring to Jesus' death on the cross for sin. Jesus had to physically die in his body of flesh to pay for sin. Jesus' death on the cross broke down this dividing wall of hostility. It broke down the Jewish system of morality that caused them to believe they were better than others. And he broke it down by abolishing the law of commandments. And the law of commandments refers to the Old Testament law. Jesus' death on the cross for sin showed that no one could be good enough to earn salvation according to God's standard by following the Old Testament law. If this was possible, then Jesus would not have had to die. Through the cross, God tells the Jewish people, even though you have the Old Testament law and you've created this moral system to keep it, it's not good enough for me. By putting their faith in Jesus for salvation, the Jewish Christians realized that they aren't morally superior to other people. They, like everyone else, were sinners wholly in need of Jesus for salvation. Their way of doing things, their values, their culture were not better than others. In God's eyes, they were equally sinful. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And this is not just true for Jewish people, but for everyone. Your cultural and racial superiority is not a problem that's unique to Jews. It's a problem that every person and culture has as a result of sin. So many examples that we could name. Everyone has beliefs and morals that cause them to believe that they are better than others and to look down on them. We naturally believe our way of doing things are more right. And it's seen in all the racism and racial conflicts in the world, in the past and in the present. in the the cultural divides between the East and the West, in the conflicts between generations who hold different values and morals. But the good news of the gospel is that through the cross, Jesus removes the sources of division among people. When people put their faith in Jesus, they admit their inability to do good and repent of their self-righteousness. Their pride in their own way of doing things is turned into humility. And it's with this humility of faith that believers who are so different can start to talk to each other, learn from each other, and share their perspectives without taking offense and grow to understand each other more. Jesus doesn't just take away sources of division, though. He also gives people a basis to unite. That's our second point. Jesus creates a new, united people by reconciling them to God. Verse 15 tells us the reason Jesus broke down these walls of hostility, and that's that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. Believers can live in peace and unity because that's who God has created us to be. Now, last week we looked at how each believer has been recreated to be God's workmanship. Individually, God has recreated us. He has a plan of goodness for us. But God's work of new creation in our lives has a far greater purpose than individuals doing good works for Him. It's part of God's purpose to create a new human race. God's very creation power is a force behind the unity that we possess. Now verse 16 tells us God unifies by reconciling sinners from all kinds of backgrounds to himself. The root of all human division and conflict comes ultimately from division and conflict with God. We are sinners who have chosen to be God in our lives rather than worship him. The result is that we make God our enemy, We tell God, don't tell me what to do or how I should live. I know what's best for myself. I don't need to follow your will or commands. I'm going to live my own life and do what I want. God, in response, says, all I've ever done for you is good. I've created you to be good. I've given you a world of good to enjoy, and you've turned away to do evil. So God sees a world of sinners who have rebelled against him that he should punish justly. So in choosing to sin, people make God their enemy and we become God's enemies. There's hostility. But more than that, the sin that we have causes us to make other people our enemies. Humanity's sinful drive to be God causes us to demand others to submit to us. We want others to serve us. We want them to follow what we believe is right, to become like who we are. And here's the source of conflict with each other. Jesus is the solution to all enmity and conflict with God and with people. He is the mediator that reconciles sinners to God. Jesus calls every person to repent, to turn away from seeking to be God and to submit to God's rule. And then Jesus goes to God. He pleads to God on our behalf to forgive sinners who repent. And then Jesus makes forgiveness possible by paying for it through his sacrifice on the cross for sin. And by doing so, Jesus kills the enmity between God and sinners. They are at peace with each other. But Jesus does more than make peace between God and people He makes peace between people and people. Jesus is more than the mediator between God and people. He's the mediator between people and people. When people admit that they are sinners who have rebelled against God, they turn away from trying to be God in their life, and they turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Jesus, in response, gives people a new identity, and he calls them into a relationship with God. In this relationship, God is their father, and they are his children. Jesus is their Lord, and they are his people. Jesus is their head, and they are part of his body. So the moment sinners turn to Jesus to be reconciled with God, Jesus also says to them, you have to be reconciled to my people. You have to be reconciled to my family. And so Jesus, through the cross, he kills hostility between people and God, people and people, And one amazing wonder of the cross is that Jesus killed hostility by being killed. At the cross, the slain is also the slayer. Death destroyed hostility on the cross. And this is the reality for all of us who have put their trust in Jesus. There is no more hostility between us and God. All the reason for conflict with others has been destroyed. And more than that, Jesus has given a reason for us to unite. He has supernaturally united us as a family, as his people, as his body. What unites is greater than what divides. What divides has actually been taken away. There are no fences, no walls, no barriers, no cultural or ethnic distinctives that can prevent unity and peace between believers. And This brings us to the third point for this morning. Jesus calls all people into unity and peace through him. Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. God is speaking to the Ephesian church, both the Gentile believers who are far off, and to the Jewish believers who are near. The idea of being far off and near here isn't in terms of the relationship with God, it's in terms of how accessible that invitation to be near to God was at the time. God is reminding his people of the peace they have in Jesus already. The message of Jesus is that he has brought peace. After coming back from the dead, after resurrecting, the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is, peace be with you. Jesus had already bought peace for the Ephesian believers. What they needed to do was make use of the peace they already had. That's the reason they were being reminded of what God had done for them. And this is true for us as a church as well. We already have peace and unity in Jesus. And the key word here is the word in. Verse 13 tells us it's in Jesus that we are brought near to God and each other. Verse 15, it is in himself that Jesus creates a new humanity. Peace and unity are found in Jesus. He is a source of peace for believers. Living in ongoing unity and peace with other believers requires that we are in right relationship with Jesus. And this right relationship with Jesus means ongoing faith and trust in what he's done for us in the gospel. When we're trusting Jesus in this way, we have the power to be at peace with other believers. But here's the thing. Christians don't always trust Jesus the way we should, and that's when problems of disunity and conflict happen. You know, conflict within a church community are not necessarily bad things. They reveal to believers, they reveal to me, they reveal to you where we are not trusting Jesus for our forgiveness and righteousness Factions and division develop when believers succumb to the influence of sin. Conflict is actually like a warning sign for the spiritual health of a church. But it's also through conflict that a community of believers learns how to trust Jesus more deeply together. As each person learns to trust Jesus, more of the unity and peace in our community grows When we see division or conflict, we need to preach peace to one another. We need to remind each other of the peace that we have in Jesus and encourage one another to trust Him again. And this takes us back to how essential the gospel is to our faith. Trusting Jesus is not just the way to salvation. It's the way to grow and live in all the blessings God has given to us, especially these blessings of peace and unity. So I'm going to conclude with final encouragement for us this morning as we think about this challenging topic and it's this jesus secures access to unity and peace for his people the last verse verse 18 for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father on resurrection sunday believers celebrate how jesus was raised to life and ascended into heaven Jesus' resurrection secured the way from earth into heaven so that believers always have access to God's presence. And God's presence is an unlimited supply of grace for all of his people. So no matter how big the conflict, as believers go into God's presence, they receive the grace to overcome it. In fact, it's going into God's presence together that unifies because every Christian goes to God through the one spirit that's in all of us. And access to God's presence isn't based on how well we're doing in our obedience to God. It's based on what Jesus has already done for us, on the fact that he's risen from the dead. So believers can always access God's presence, and as we do, God unifies us through his Spirit. Unity and peace has been brought by Jesus. God's making this happen. He's uniting all things in heaven and earth. This is the resurrection power of Jesus at work in our lives. We should be confident in it. And ask the worship team to come up. You know, in the moments when we're not sure if this is true, what we actually need to do is just follow the commands in this passage. And the first command is actually remember. Remember, remember at one time you were in conflict with other people, other races. Remember at one time you were separated from God. You think about the relationships that you had before becoming a Christian? And now think about all the people in your church community that you know. You know, if, if you weren't a Christian, would you be able to actually relate to these people in this way? And the answer is, without Jesus, we wouldn't be able to have this family love that we have in our church already. It's only because Jesus has saved us and He's uniting us that we already have this grace and He wants us to grow in it. Now, I just want to end with a... Well, this is a story of what God can do. Um, my church back in Canada, they sponsored a group of Rwandans. So the group of Rwandans was called, uh, uh, they had a group called Christelle, and this was a band. But the story of these Rwandans, there were four brothers, they faced the genocide at the time that it happened in, in the 90s. And they were scattered from their families, they saw so many of their friends and family die. They ran away and they weren't sure if they were ever going to see one another again. But miraculously, they were brought together at the same refugee camp. And that's when they you know, were able to reunite and eventually they were able to get sponsorship to Canada. But in this process, they met believers, believers who helped them, believers who cared for them, who loved them, who shared the gospel with them. So, as they were in Canada, they, they started to think, you know what, like, God has saved us, God has forgiven us. We need to forgive the other tribe who tried to kill our family, who has killed our family. So, this began their journey of just a long ministry of, of going back to their home country and talking first to believers, believers in churches who were so hurt from the conflict that happened. And I was just so encouraged to see and hear them share stories of churches where there are two tribes that once sat on different sides. They knew they should be together, but they really couldn't bring themselves to actually talk to one another. But after hearing the story of the brothers and how they were willing to forgive, they were actually start to able to come together and to talk to one another. You know, God's grace is so big, so powerful. It's enough for everyone, even in the greatest conflicts. We can be confident in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you that we are united. Thank you that we are at peace with one another. Thank you for the ways that you have already taught us how to live in love and unity. And uh, We pray that you would help us to grow in this. God, in the world that's so divided, in a city that's so divided, would we show a little bit of the kingdom of heaven? Would we show a little bit of your power to the world, your power to save, your power to unite, God. And we pray that you know, through us, you would continue to do your work of reconciliation and, unite, and uniting the world to yourself. We pray that more people would, would become reconciled to you and to one another, Lord. We pray you would give us the faith to trust and believe what you've already done. You are alive. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.